0: any position can be a platform for service just like being at Nike and having a Nike product creation experience and run all of those uh, platforms to serve and to help somebody else yeah you know um but again those are the things that give me a a great sense of personal and professional fulfillment
1: Welcome to the Dreams By Any Means Motivation Station. I'm your host Ed Doxon. Today I have a very special guest here on the show. Um, I say that every single time because uh, every guest is a special guest, but this is a special guest. Um, first and foremost, I like to talk about um, those who've been keeping up with the show or those that are new to the show. Uh, this is a motivational podcast. The main purpose of me starting this podcast um, was to you know, have inspiration and motivation for people to get to their goals. Um, from all walks of life, business, sports, Um, People that have made mistakes and bounced back and had some of those comeback stories. But this one today is uh, special to me um, because I tell you all the time, um, when I think about motivation, uh, think about inspirations. um, You are one of those people in my life, uh, probably the biggest motivation. I tell people all the time, I'm the hardest working man in D.C., um, hardest working man in our family. Um, just the overall person that I always say, uh, you know, people always ask about you and it's like, how is he this? How is he that? And I'm just like, man, that's just Leno. he always been like that. So this episode is going to be great because um, I think sometimes we always just see the end result um, of people that are uh, successful in leadership. And I want to use this uh, episode today to just talk about your path to leadership and where you are today. So uh, today I have here on the show and I'm going to make this clear to the public. Uh, this is not my brother. Uh, this is not my father. <laughs> uh, growing up, you know, I've gotten everything under the sun, but this is my uncle, uh, my mom's brother. Uh, we have Mr. Delano Hunter here on Dreams by Any Means. Hey, man! I,
0: um, thanks for having me first and foremost, yeah. and I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you, and I've, uh, of course, I've we've, I've been a part of your life, your entire life, and you've right. been a part of my life. It seems like uh, almost since the very beginning, we're not, you know, that far apart. So I'm proud of you as well. It's a
1: pleasure to be on the show. Appreciate it, man. So, you know, let's just jump right into it. Um, D.C. Native, um, Spengon Senior High School. But before getting into that, let's go back to 3103, Grandma's House, Benita Franklin Hunter, uh, Sunday School, uh, you know, <laughs> Holiness is a way of life, <laughs> living and be blessed. Let's start right there. Um, you know, me asking these questions is funny because I kind of do know the answers to them. But those who don't know you, um, let's just start at your house, you know, in the Gateway community in Northeast. Yeah, I am. Uh
0: Proud native Washingtonian. I am the son of Franklin and Bonita, one of of five children. Of course, uh, your uncle, my little brother, uh, David, passed away. I always like to add him in as that fifth sibling. But, uh, you know, very fortunate. Very fortunate to grow up in a a household full of love with older parents that didn't play. Uh, Now, (laughs) as I'm a little older, you know, I appreciate the sacrifices and and how— you know, they, they raised us. So just very fortunate, very fortunate, you know, to have being a household, you know, full of so much love.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, during that time uh, gro- going to school right up the street, uh, Fort Lincoln, which eventually became Thurgood Marshall, uh, we were just talking about that before the show, the uh, leadership of uh, Tyrone Hopkins, who did an amazing job uh, with that school. I like to call him Joe Clark. Uh, you know, when I watched Lean on Me, that was the first person I thought about was Mr. Hopkins. But um, starting there, you know, I, I know you've always had a, a relationship, um, I would say, with those older than you. Um, you know, I think about Miss Hertz, Mr. Whitfield, uh, Mrs. L, those type of people. Um, you know, just growing up as a kid, though, just talk about, you know, how was your experience, um, you know, during those early years in your schooling?
0: You know, uh it's 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 funny you mention that, right? Because I always identify with like that group of teachers and those teachers in general, those, you know, older black educators that um, just, just gave us so much love. You know, one of the reasons why we're giving Mr. Hopkins a shout-out is because yeah, his son, right. uh, Marcus Hopkins, <laughs> is in the studio with us. And, you know, folks like Mr. Hopkins, Mr. Cato, Mrs. Zell, Miss Summers, you know, they represented like a, a generation of black educators that, you know, went to the Old Miners Teachers College, which is now UDC. Uh, they um, really seized and took advantage of the opportunities uh, in a DC uh, that was a lot different than it is now now, but really they were the first generation educators, really post-segregation, where they had such opportunities, and I just appreciate, you know, all that they did for me. I think I identify with them so much, because they were, like, of my parents' class and generation. Right. You know, my father, he didn't have me until he was 45. My mother was almost 40, so, you know, my parents were so much older and mature, and I guess what what I saw uh, in my parents, I also saw in those teachers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely,
1: and um, after that, I know, uh, with Spengarn, um, where, you know, I was Old enough at that time to witness, um, I think, just so much success um, from the basketball team, football, baseball, Key Club. Um, I mean, you've done every organization. I think that probably was Spengarn, but um, also you know, uh, uh, just speaking of being transparent, you know, Spengarn wasn't a a a a, a Wilson or a Sitwell friend. So you know, uh, actually the other day in the chat, you know, Tony and Silas, they were just talking about. Uh, different uh, people coming through DCPS schools and you know, they brought up Spingarn, and, you know, I'm sure there's other great alumni that came from there, but they kind of saying, you know, like Delano's like a one of one, I um, mean, you know, when you think about uh, just the challenge that was in that school. So when you was there, um, you know, I remember, you know, you got along with everybody. If it's the guys that were considered on the bad side, the good side, nerds, whatever you want to call them. So uh, talk about your time at Spingarn. you know, what did that do to your leadership? You know, going through the city title championships. I saw you the other day you were with Coach Jackson. Uh, Alan, who's now principal in DCPS. So just talk about, you know, your time at Spingarn.
0: You know, I always like to to say that like I'm a product of DC, right? So I went to DC public schools, was a part of the Summer Youth Employment Program, you know, went to DPR sites as a kid. And I can't imagine me being where I am without Spingarn. You know, for me, it was Sitwell Friends. It was Georgetown Day. You know, pound for pound, man, those teachers, Miss Emma Johnson, Ah, uh, Mr. Vernon Williams, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Charles Perry Keith Jackson, like those folks, like were so instrumental in who I am as a person. And what I appreciate about Spingarn is, you know, uh, growing up in a very sheltered environment and growing up with parents that were so deeply religious and devout. I think Spingarn is is it toughened me a bit. You yeah. know, it it helped me to develop a, a sense of empathy. It helped me to you know, realize how fortunate I was. And then, of course, just being an athlete and having those opportunities, uh, again, it just toughened me. It gave me something that I didn't have going into it. And, you know, I still carry a lot of that to my day. To this day, you, you talked about folks like Keith, Keith Jackson and Emma Johnson. Like, those folks, you yeah. know, Miss Emma, Emma Johnson, she, she passed away. You know, mm-hmm. she was, uh, you know, she passed away shortly after my wedding. She yeah. did the, the, um, the, uh, engagement dinner, right. you know, didn't know how sick she was, she passed away like a month later. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, Keith Jackson still to this day, you know, we're, we're still very close, or Allen, those folks, it was just a special place for me. And yeah. I'll say this, like pound for pound, it had this reputation, but again, those educators loved those kids, they right. loved me. I felt prepared for college, I felt prepared, prepared uh, for the professional world, I felt prepared when I, I went off and went to Nike, like pound for pound, it wasn't just feel-good story, like X's and O's, those were educators. They taught me. Uh, They gave me a
1: good academic foundation that I still carry with me to this day. Right, right. And, um, you know, still touching on that, like I said, I remember when uh, I was there, um, you all, I want to say, won DCIAA three times, right? Three in a row? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so three in a row. Um, I remember the city title game. You all won the first one, right, against St. John's? That's right. Won won the first game. And um, this question is because, you know, as I get older um you know i reflect on you know different sports but of course everyone the basketball is my favorite sport Kobe's my favorite player um i kind of now lately even myself have been applying like basketball to life like just kobe's mindset or even like myself when i'm thinking about you know when if you're doing the task at work you know i sometimes think of like all right now we're in the season now we're gonna get to the playoffs game one game two game three so from sports and specifically basketball, how, how did you tie that into leadership? And, and I'm asking that too, because I remember one night, um, I don't know what game it was, might've been a playoff game, but I don't even know if you remember this, you were sick and I remember you were like in the bathroom throwing up um, everything, you might have had the flu or something. And I know grandma was in there playing some message, uh, but it was talking about faith. And pretty much like, you know, you, you decided with the coach, like, hey, I'm gonna sit this one out. But I remember you telling grandma, like, you know, now nah, I heard that message, like, I gotta go be there for the team. So talk about how, you know, that that sports world has uh, ties into your leadership, you know, from college and beyond. I don't even remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember it. You hey. he was in there throwing up everything. Like, he was like, I'm going to sit out, and you still went in and went to the game and played. Man, if you would have said <laughs> I dropped 30, then that would have been, like
0: <laughs> been like my Jordan flu game. Um, no, again, I think what I appreciate about, you know, playing sports and playing at that level Uh, You know, high school wise, a very competitive program was just, again, it it taught me toughness. Man, those coaches, man, I remember even before uh, Keith, or Coach Jackson, as I like to call him still, um, call him that to this day, like Doc Robinson. You know, Doc was a (laughs) legend, you know, in this city. And... uh, Doc taught me the value of being prepared. I remember we would have these practices, we ran this offense called the flex, which I okay. could still run to this day. Like we didn't do a lot of scrimmaging, we didn't do a lot of sprints. Like we would run the same play over and over yeah. again, sometimes for 90 minutes, two hours plus. And again, I could still run that play to the day. So that's something I took away from that, like really being prepared and knowing that you know, that you know. Also, I think being a part of a, a team environment you know, where other people are depending on you, mm-hmm. showing up, you know. Uh, uh, there's this old saying, sometimes the best ability is availability. Yeah. So being available for your teammates, you know, that's something that I uh, take with me to this date. And I would say last but not least, what I appreciate again about the Charles Perry's, the Keith Jackson's, the um, Coach Q's uh, Doc Robinson, uh, I can go on and on. Like, you know, those guys, man, really taught you how to be mentally tough, right? Man, the language that they would use yeah. back then, <laughs> you know, I look at it like this. I could be in a, uh, you know, situation at work. I'm like, ain't cussing at me like that, you know, or uh, they can't make me run suicides or sprints and things like that. So I just appreciate, uh, you know, ha- having that experience. And I think, uh, in my mind, I'm still an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy. Oh, you know, it was just high school, but it, it taught me like competition at a high level. I'm still ultra competitive. I don't think people realize that, mm-hmm. except for, you know, I'm not always competing against someone. The goal right. is not, to, all right, well, I'm going to go out here in government or in this this pursuit of, of uh, with my family or whatever I'm a part of and I'm trying to dominate or be somebody. It's not about that. It's just the desire to, to want to improve, do better to right. fulfill my human potential, right? And I think I get a lot of that from a foundation of
1: sports. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I think I never actually asked this question, You know, after Spring-On, of course you went to Delaware State. Uh, how did Del State come about? Was this like a school you were seeking? Did someone recommend it? Did they come to Spring-On? I never forget. <laughs> I never,
0: I'm telling you, I will never forget. I was, uh, uh, I was, it was the spring. It was April. It was baseball season. You okay. know, again, you know, after the basketball season. You just rolled into baseball. I remember we had a game. The game was at, um, I forget who we were playing. I think we were playing Eastern. Okay. And I, um, they had this college tour and Mr. Cleo Davis was like, you got to go. And I said, man, you know, I got to, I got a game, you know, you just didn't miss games. We just talked about, you know, the importance of showing up and he says, I don't wanna hear it. You gotta go to this college tour and, you know, explained it to the coach and said, Hey, you know, they said I really need to go to this. And I remember going there, touring the campus and being underwhelmed. I think we went on like the worst day. It was rainy, (laughs) it was cloudy. They took us to the worst building. Right,
1: right.
0: (laughs) You know, the old MLK, the worst building on campus. And I just remember at the time, uh, they were doing a tour, and then Mr. Davis took me to see uh, Mr. Jethro Williams, who at the time okay. was the uh, was the admissions counselor, and took me into his office. and I remember they handed him my transcripts, and he was looking over, you know, my transcripts, and I'm sitting at the desk, like not really knowing what's going on, and he says, "Hmm." You know and he said some remarks and all i remember was you know i'm prepared to offer you a, a full scholarship yeah. and i could just remember at the time you know just having so much joy because i knew what that meant you know right. having two working class you know parents uh i i knew that this was my ticket yeah. you know this was a way i always envisioned myself going to college but this was a way to do it and this is a way where it wouldn't be a burden for my parents to have to worry about providing for me so right. uh the rest is history man i just loved every minute at dell state and, and next to spanger and i say dell state is, is is what made me into the person i am today yeah yeah for sure
1: because i know you know uh well, you know when i when i came to dell state you know i remember you know uh, you trying to expose me to college and you know like uh I'll say you know you know we're trying to draw the youth in of what college is you just think it's school and i always tell the story i was like man i remember i was up there you know uh, and one came to play you know got to meet hot sauce and all those guys when but you I, choked on, is that when you choked on the almost died at dover delaware at the uno's uh choking on the pizza man shout out to reggie reggie black reggie saved my life uh inside the uno's man the pizza really was a daft fool but um, I remember like, you know, you plan an event, student government, and I'm not going to lie, I remember but, like you were like, all right, man, you know, I'm about to go uh, to the concert or whatever, you know, we got to go let the artisan. in. And I just remember you saying something about Lil Wayne. And at that moment, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to college. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, he hanging up with Lil Wayne. But um, being in student government, uh, myself, when I went to del State, being student government president, uh, having a lot of friends that served on student government, still in the group meet with uh, a student government alum from all HBCUs everyone who served on student government, mainly president, and vice president, speaks about how it prepared them for the real world, how it prepared them for uh, uh, the workforce. So talk about what SGA did for you um, prior to going to what we call the real world.
0: You know, it it was an opportunity to serve. And I think at its core, I've always uh, been a a servant, you know, a servant of people and what really inspires me, or really motivates me, is being able to advocate for folks. And I and I think student government provided that opportunity. Of course, you know, it was fun for homecoming. It was yeah. fun uh, to, to be in the mix, you know. I'm not gonna lie, unless yeah. you know that. I would be lying to tell you that I didn't <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, but also, like, you know, advocating for students for policy change, and I won't go into stuff that happened 20 years ago, right, but that right. was really good. And then also just, Again, just 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 opportunities for exposure. You know what I appreciate about you know historically black colleges is that you know they, you know it, it's such a um, it's such an intimate environment where you yeah. can really figure out who you are as a person, and you can grow. You know, in a environment that is welcoming, one that is nourished, uh, that one, one that is um, nourishing in, in a sense. And then one that is also nurturing, right? Right. And I, you know, appreciate Delaware State, and I appreciate all HBCUs because of, you know, again, what what it does for our kids. You know, mm-hmm. I look at folks like Harold McRae, and yeah. uh, now Doctor Harold McRae, right, right. principal at MacArthur, doing so well. You know, I remember, you know, Harold you know, his, testimony, he'll tell you how he was in project success yeah, sure. and really you know, yep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which is your, exactly, so yeah. they gave kids an opportunity and, um, you know, going back to my Spingarn days and what was the, the common thread that linked Spingarn to Dell state was that it both cultivated this underdog mentality. You know, I remember at on. I remember uh, uh, meeting folks. Oh, yeah, you know, oh, you go to sping. I remember, I'll never forget it. It was this, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to name her name, but uh, it's a lady who I met uh, here on <laughs> 8th Street. And, and I'm sure she, she meant quite well. And I remember at the time when I was at on, and the kids were introducing themselves. And it was one kid um, from Banneker and one kid from... Uh, School Without Walls, you know, and I remember, and uh was like, Spangon, I, I felt like I was like the kid from across the track, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, same thing about Dell State, you know, a great institution, uh, now one of the, what, top four, top five yeah. HBCUs, but even still back then, you know, it was, it, it, it had an underdog mentality, you know, it wasn't, Bei- it wasn't HU, yeah. you know, it wasn't some uh, very, it wasn't thought of to be this res- great prestigious school. Right, Although right. again, you had folks that were really passionate about uh, uh, just wanting to succeed in life. So I think about folks like Reggie, I think about folks mm-hmm. like who. Uh, I think about folks like, like Tay, you know, yeah, the people yeah. who were part of my circle. And we just had this strivers mentality. Right. And again, Dell State, if you had that strivers mentality, you know, Del State provided an opportunity for you to be nurtured and again, for you to grow uh into the person that many of us are today yeah
1: yeah and, and speaking on that you know um i'm thinking about uh, kenny francis shout out to them they both work in the dcps um, preparing students uh kenny's preparing students to go to school and go into careers and francis is trying to keep students in school um but what would you say to those who especially today is passing around more and more when they say you know college isn't for everyone college is a waste of money uh you don't need to take out loans don't go into debt all those type of things what advice would you give to those specifically those D.C. youth and D.C. parents right now that are listening that are probably trying to decide, do they want to take that investment and make that sacrifice for their children? Well, I'd, I'll say this,
0: right? I, I'll say this, that there are multiple pathways to success. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that you have to go to college, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I do think that we should be investing more in trades. I do think that trades has been a very, uh, uh, um, a, a way for us to, you know, my father was a carpenter, yeah. right? father was a carpenter and you know so the I know the value of trades and how you can provide for yourself make a living for your family uh so I do think that there are multiple ways are cl- a classical education trades entrepreneurship I think sh- our kids should explore it all we shouldn't take anything off the table yeah. I will say that what college does sometimes it allows you to get away from the environment that you're in and although I, I i it was important for me to get away from the district to see that there was a it was a gateway to, right. to to travel internationally it was a gateway to meet other folks from other walks of life so in addition what what colleges provide is that not just an opportunity to grow academically and to learn but also to grow soci- socially right yeah. to, ma- to ma- mature uh, in ways um, in an environment where you can experiment a bit and you're um, away from where you grew up. So, you know, it does provide that benefit, but I don't think we should be taking anything off the table.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree.
0: I would say this. You just have to, you have to do something right you right. have to <laughs> in, invest in something yeah. so if and, and I, I encourage that to all kids you know yeah. and, and parents you know find something that you're, you're even if you aren't passionate about because i don't think you know when you go to college it's a part of the, the self-discovery process and I, I think again it's just it provides an environment where you can uh, again really low learn and grow to become who you are to become uh i think the more we can do of that the, the better off you know our kids yeah will.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think, you know, uh, a lot of those success stories of people that go to college, you know, people, uh, they leave out. They're like, you know, well, they had a uh, hundred thousand dollars waiting for them to start a fund, you know, <laughs> from their father or something like that. But uh, even my experience, I remember telling my mom, you know, uh, I wasn't going to school. And I always tell a story where like, you know, she turned into Monique from Precious. I literally remember yesterday, like it was yesterday <laughs> she was upstairs. But I remember one thing she was saying, she was like, you know hey, I know you're saying you want to work and you want to stay home. You know, at this time I had this uh, a dream of becoming Will Smith. Remember I was doing the acting thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I came across those headshot <laughs> pictures the other day. And um, she was like, no, you know, the, the development that you need to become a man, she was like, this is why I want you to go away to That's school. Right. And you know, when I look back at it, I agree with you. I always tell people, I was like, you know, the lesson outside of the classroom is more important than the lesson in the classroom. Uh, My closest friends are from Dell State uh, to this day. You know, we've all been through so many things together. Um, I just became a godfather through Kamani's son. You know, these are people that I met at Dell State. Um, But just thinking about that, you know, after Dell State, and um, this question again to this is so great because, you know, a lot of people uh, go to college. Some people may not get a job right after school. Um, They may not get a job in their field. And sometimes it's because, you know, they may have not taken, like you said, taken action while they were there. Um to your experience, you know, leaving Dell State, um, you got a chance to go all the way to the West Coast, uh, Beaverton, Oregon to Nike. I was just in Nike yesterday of my girlfriend Monet, and uh we were shopping, you know, getting the discounts and stuff. And she was like, Yeah, damn Delano used to work here. I was like, Yeah, he worked at the corporate office. I was like, if he was still there, we would have 40% off right now. <laughs> I was like, I wish he was still over there. You know, I remember us going on the sites, getting the phone positive and Nike boots 40% off and all those things, but Nonetheless, you know, when you were there, it was, you know, I didn't know too much about the business world, but I just saw like, you know, you with Ladanian Thomas and Snoop Dogg, you know, you're saying, hey, Michael Jordan was just in his other building the other day. So going out to Oregon, man, from D.C., and like you just said, coming from on Delaware State with that underdog mentality, going into corporate America to one of the biggest corporate giants, you know, less like I, said, I really wanted to talk about that because I think sometimes people don't People don't take that leap. You know, I'm sure you could have easily came home. You could have did government right out of college. You could have did something in the business world in uh, Northern Virginia. But going out there to Nike, man, let's really dive into that. Like, how was your first week out there, your first day? <laughs> man, I was blessed, man.
0: I, I, I was just blessed with that opportunity. You know, I remember um, just... Just, just being out there, and again, I, I carried that underdog mentality with me. I remember I was a part of a, a program. Uh, uh, um, it was a developmental program, and it was for uh, recent grads, you know, out of school. And we had folks from Brown, mm-hmm. Harvard, yeah, um, Oregon, which University of Oregon, the state of Oregon, is like Harvard, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, because they would feel, night, of course, in those ties, they have such a lot. And I just remember going out there, and I. I, I had something to prove, right? I had something to prove like I belong, right? Because I, I knew that, you know, I was coming from Delaware State, people are like, where? Well,
1: yeah. oh, they <laughs> automatically think UD, and it's like, nah, not UD. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 not that one. Not, <laughs> yeah. I'm a Hornet, yeah. I'm not a Blue hen
0: you know, so yeah, yeah that school, right? <laughs> Again, you know, uh, and, and no one made me feel like that, yeah. right? I, I mean, they, they were very welcoming, it was inclusive, but like powerful, powerful, one of the nicest places I've ever, you know, like lived, but, but I had something to prove, and I wanted to take advantage of, of every opportunity. I, again, you know, stepped off of Dale State's campus feeling like I was 10 feet tall. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I was 10 feet tall. So I, I knew that I could hang. I knew that I could play at that level. I use sports analogies in the sense. You yeah. know, I, so I was just excited
1: just to be there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, um, I was kind of talking about this before we started you know that transition and I experienced myself and especially if you're coming from HBCU you know you go from everyone on campus looking like you looking like you then mm-hmm. you go into corporate America and you know you may got to dig and find you know other people that look like you now I know when you were there you were part of the black uh employee mm-hmm. network which I believe you 2008 you got awarded employee of the year right yeah with yeah. that network so going into that corporate space just dive a little bit like you said you, you came out with the mindset that you belong here but I'm sure it was a, a just a transition of you know going from Delaware and and not even just Nike headquarters, but you know Beaverton, Oregon in itself is not it's not like D.C. You know it's not like Northeast D.C. <laughs> at all. So going into that environment, man, like what 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 was that like? What what did that feel like? I know you say you were there and you had the master that you wanted to win, but how did you keep that mental toughness? Because like anyone, when you get to new space, it could be uncomfortable. You know, um, f- for me, I, I would say.
0: When I went there, I, first I was very, I was very cognizant of, you know, my behavior, my interactions with people—I was very guarded. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the first couple of days. I was wearing a shirt and tie. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I can't think of the, the guy's name, but at first it was first day. He was like, "Hey, you know, I know you, knew you got out of school. You know, you don't, you know, we don't dress like that. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do that, right?" Then the second day, it was like, "Oh, I see you're still in that tie. You know, really, that's not, you know, kind of how we do things." The third day, it was like, "Look, here's a gift card. Go get yourself some sneakers and a, and, and, and a sweatshirt yeah. or something. You know, just be relaxed." So. I would say that, you know, it, uh, again, I, I, I carried that sort of mentality. Like I had something to, to, to prove, not in a bad way, like what I had like a chip on my yeah. shoulder, but, you know, I felt like I was, I was representative of all dell state graduates all yeah. people from dc you know all public i just carried that weight in that and, and that helped me to want to perform uh nike has these maxims right and these maxims um which i still live by these maxims mm-hmm. are now personal and even some professional you know values that that i hold dear and one of them is to kind of be a sponge so i wanted to get out there and what i realized is that when I really became confident, you know, cause again, yeah, folks from Brown and folks from Harvard, and I wanted to see how I measured up. And then pretty soon, I, I I recognized that I belonged. And not only did I recognize I belonged, I recognized that I had value that I could offer, that they needed my perspective. You know, Nike, look, I'm in Nike. Uh, mm-hmm. You're in Nike, right, right. Most, most <laughs> of the folks that they can't see are Nike. I see Jordans, you yes. know, I see, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so I realized like, I'll. the the power we have as consumers. And Mm -hmm. I realized like how they go about like identifying with that consumer. And I realized that I brought value to the table as well because I knew uh, the the power and what we represented as consumers and I know that they sold so much product So yeah, absolutely you should have people uh, at the table people that are part of your organization that reflects your consumer base Right, and then I was really fortunate man. to have really good mentors at Nike You know, I think of Jason Maiden. I think of Gina Warren, you know These were folks some just five six years older than me some yeah. 20 30 years older than me that really embraced me that supported me that provided encouragement that provided correction you know when it was necessary mm-hmm. uh, and
1: it just it was just a great experience yeah yeah for sure and um you know you talk about mentoring it actually made me think about something because i was leading into the uh next phase of your life you coming back home to dc but um when you were, you know coming back home to dc you know we'll get into that that, that job and your opportunity you had um william shelton what, what does William William Sheldon, Mr. Sheldon, yeah, you know, what, what man, you? It,
0: it's still a very dear friend of mine. Um, I still consider him a mentor uh, and has had a big influence on my life. And I remember, you know, at the time, you know, living in, in Oregon, um, an older gentleman by the name of uh, Larry Harper, uh, who um, at the time was a senior executive in Nike, had challenged that group of young black professionals to you know, hey, it's not just enough to, to be out here, to network, to, you know, you absolutely should be concerned about your professional growth, but how are you giving back? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gina Warren did so as well. And I remember at the time from them challenging us, we uh, started what was called like this Nike product creation experience where we didn't want to do a traditional mentorship program where you have a mentor, a mentee, and, right. you know, you go out for dinner. Hey, you know, like yeah. that. Don't me <laughs> wrong, there's value in that. I'm not diminishing yeah, that. Yeah. But we started this program where you uh, could... Um, we mimic the product creation experience and that program is still in existence to this day you know 15 from my understanding i believe 15 16 years later i think it's alive in some form of iteration so some iteration but um you know i felt convicted right because again i'm from it was it was fine. It was a great program in Northeast Portland, but I'm mm-hmm. from Northeast DC. Right. So what William Shelton represented was an opportunity for me to serve the community mm-hmm. that that I grew up in, and mm-hmm. you know his son Luke Spencer, yep, yep, uh, uh, someone Luke. who I was close with in school to play ball, uh, someone that uh, I um, you know had um, uh, a relationship with. So of course, um, you know with, with Mr. Shelton being there. Uh, he just provided that opportunity. I remember reading in the post about uh, young men making moves, I think at the I was time. Just you, it was a yeah, that, that article with, yeah. with those guys. And I just remember <laughs> uh, uh, it. It, you know, I I just felt convicted. I felt like like I could be a part of the solution. You know, I was seeing guys that I went to school with, mm-hmm. you know, that were being killed, yeah. right, from Saratoga, from Brentwood, yeah. and I, I just wanted to. It felt like at the time, D.C. was the center of the universe. Of course, at that time, Barack Obama uh, had been elected. He was preparing to be sworn in. It just seemed like there was so much energy here. I just had to be back in D.C. Right. Uh, so Mr. Shelton provided that opportunity for me to you know transition back from the West Coast to serve. In, in my home community, yeah, yeah, for sure. And
1: that was just I remember just that time. And I actually remember when you coming because we didn't know you were coming back, you just popped up, yeah. Because yeah. I remember being <laughs> at the Grandma House and like somebody was at the door, we were like, Who's at the door this late? And I just remember you coming inside, and everyone was so shocked. But um, during that time of serving the community, and um, you know, Brentwood being a community that uh, unfortunately still to this day faces a lot of challenges, um, while you were there, you know, that led to. Um, I would say, even for myself, one of the most memorable moments in my life was when you ran for city council. And um, still to this day, you know, I often reflect on the, the campaigns because uh, I'm sure you probably realize it, but through that those campaigns, you united so many people that still to this day, you know, I've met people through the campaign that I'm still cool with or in contact with on social media or have had, you know, business, you know, like have business with them or they've been uh, talking about coming to the podcast. So that run for city council, um, I want to definitely talk about that because I think also as well as when we look at what DC is today, um, you know, we, we we thrive where we do want to see natives run. We do want to see natives in position. So yourself coming back home and running for city council, um, let's just talk, about man. Like I said, so I'm a joke about it, right? <laughs> to this day, everyone knows I'm a walker. I'm a runner. Part of that has came from when we were doing city council door to door. When I ride past Brooklyn, man, Brooklyn, I have flashbacks and some PTSD of those hills in 90 degree weather. We walking door to door. But it was, man, it was a great experience. And like I said, you uh, united a lot of people. But your run for city council and also, I mean, I'm sure Brent would influence that. But where did it come come from Where you really decided, like, let me put my hat in this race? You know, man, this might be the first time I think I've talked
0: about yeah. that campaign. Patrice, uh, my wife, uh, always encourages me to be uh, more open about it. Uh, but I, I haven't spoken much about it publicly. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is very. This might be the first time. So yeah. I would say that, uh, you know, at the time I was 25. You know, I was 25 and uh, I didn't know any better. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I think sometimes... Um, you know, when you're young, uh, and you you have an idea, like there's freedom that comes from youth. You know, there, there there there's a freedom from being young, where you aren't encumbered with other people's expectations. You aren't you know, encumbered with history. You don't have to carry the baggage. You, when you wanna make a change and you see something and you feel mm-hmm. like you are a righteous in your beliefs, there's a boldness that comes with youth that, that um, I had at the time, you know, now, of course, being married, father, three, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you, you're a little more risk averse. Uh, but at the time, you know, again, uh, I remember working with Mr. Shelton, and he was taking me around to various ANC meetings. And, you know, I remember at the time we were very serious about uh, workforce development and economic mm-hmm. empowerment within that community. And, you know, uh, no, no offense to the elected officials at the time, but I just felt like I could bring a, a, a different level of, of focus uh, and, and intensity. And I remember... Uh, At the time, we were meeting with the elected official, uh, and I remember it was January 6th, and I remember it was the day before my birthday, and Mm -hmm. I remember um, we had a War 5 jobs plan. We had a jobs plan that we were going to deliver, uh, present. You know, it was just this idea about uh, how we were going to, uh, bring workforce development to that Brentwood community. And I remember uh, I was tightening it up and the content looked good, but I, I wanted a certain layout. So I mm-hmm. remember driving up the Delaware, yeah, to Delaware, Brandon Maddox. Uh, right. uh, he's going to lay it out. <laughs> I held Brandon captive. I was like, listen, man, this thing has got to look good because, you know, I'm meeting before this elected official. And, um, you know, I remember uh, pulling it all night. I think I got home maybe 5, 6 o'clock, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, got dressed, Sunday's best. You know, go down and um, meet with the council member Oh um, man, and actually it was Harry Thomas, mm-hmm. and I just remember at the time when um uh, we we just felt like I felt like like um I just felt like the focus was not there mm-hmm. now, I, and I don't I'm saying that because I'm being transparent yeah. here and I'm being being honest, but um. And that's not an indictment. You know, that was one meeting of many. Right. And, you know, uh I, I respect him. I consider him a friend now. But I'm just telling you how I felt back then mm-hmm. as a 25-year-old. Right, right, I just felt like the intensity and the focus on the issue was not there. So I said, you know what, man, I'm going to run myself. Right? Because clearly, again, man, I've in my mind, my 25-year-old yeah. self with that, you know, uh with my wisdom at that time, mm-hmm. I had traveled throughout the night. You know, we had this... 10 point plan this plan was going to be the you know the shining example on the hill of how you do this and i remember mm-hmm. at the time it was like man it's just like i just felt dismissed in that moment yeah and from that just from that feeling of being dismissed in that moment like oh this is cute but i think we ended up talking about like the playoff game and i'm like man yeah yeah like nah, man i can bring a different level of of, of um I could bring something different to the table. So that 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 one experience is what really inspired me to run. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Shelton was like, yeah, you should do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I appreciate yeah. him, man. He was uh, he was encouraging me. So from that moment is when I ran for office. And I say I say that now. Uh, again, I'm just giving you my truth in that mm-hmm. moment. And that doesn't diminish Harry. I got a great deal of respect yeah, yeah. for him, his mother Romaine, you know, his father, any example. But I'm telling you how I felt in that moment. Yeah. And that laid the foundation. And I ran that
1: far. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And shout out to Harry. Harry's been on the podcast, Um, you know, great guy still moving around the community years later. Um, So, you know, also going from the uh, city council, um, now I want to just get into now leadership of government. Um, You've held a lot of different leadership positions. Um, Shout out to Mayor Bowser and the Bowser administration. Um, You know, I know from uh, Volunteer Affairs, DPR, DGS, uh, DOES. Uh, all, of all, it, the all of it. All of it, think I think he's done everything except for the chief yeah. of police and MPD. But um, going through those different leadership roles, man, you know, I wanted to ask, you know, prior to you getting into government, and um, I think this is a great question for Natives. Um, You know, we all could be very critical of leadership in this city. We all could point the finger. Um, we could do a lot of things. But, you know, prior to you getting into government leadership, um, you know, what was your, and I, when I say your thought, not how you felt about government, but how did you think government worked? But now being in leadership and being in those meetings and pushing policy and advocating, you know, how has that transition been now? You know, going from watching to now doing? Well, you know, I I think I was looking for a platform to serve, right? And, you know, I tried
0: to run for office. That didn't work out. Remember, I ran twice. Yeah. And uh within a very short span. And, you know, uh I was president of my civic association, which I did for about five years. Uh, and, you know, of course, I still was volunteering. And when the opportunity, you know, came to serving Mayor Bowser's administration, I really was just just really just looking for a, a home, mm-hmm. you know, politically. Um, you know, having run for office, people kind of view you with a, a certain level of skepticism. You know, is this person just looking for a platform uh, so they can run again? Uh, and at the time, of course, many of the folks that supported uh, mayor Bowser, that support Mayor Bowser, those, those were my peers, those were my friends, you mm-hmm. know, Josh and, and yeah. Luan, uh, and many of those. So it was like a natural home for me. And then also, you know, I just agreed politically, you know, with the mayor and a majority of her platform. And Again, I was looking for a platform to serve, yeah. you know, and th- that's one lesson that I always like to tell kids is that like when you, or folks that are coming up, even my peers, right? For anybody that's trying to do something, if you're passionate about something, you know, never confuse your passion for a platform, yeah, right? right, Because passion can manifest itself through a multitude of platforms. And for me, you know, again, yeah, I tried to run for office and and, and, and that didn't work out. Uh, I think civic association was a platform to serve. Being in government was a platform to serve. And I didn't think that, you know, now going on 19 years later uh, that I would be in the position that I am in now uh, I, I just wanted an opportunity to serve. And, yeah. you know, as the Bible says, you know, your gift will, will make room for you. Right. So, you know, I just appreciate the man, you know, yeah. just on a personal yeah. level, just for giving me a shot to be a part of a team. Mm-hmm. And when I, I came on board, I was a special assistant for the Office of Veteran Affairs. And, and, and no, I'm not a veteran. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, Oh, why are you taking that, man? I oh, like, oh, that's just, I was like, nah, man, it's just an opportunity. i just, you know, yeah. see how it goes. Uh, you know, it's a platform, an opportunity to serve. I'll make the most of it. And who knows what could come from it? Yeah. So I just, again, took that sort of meant that underdog mentality, mm-hmm. you know, all right. Well, hey, no matter what the platform is, that's cool. You know, I'll serve. Let's see what this just hidden for. Uh, and, you know, again, I just provided opportunity after opportunity. That led to opportunity after opportunity. Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. And, you know, moving around government, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think from the outside looking in, uh, you know, what agency would you say? Um, you know, provided the most growth and development. I, I, and like I said, correct me if I'm wrong, I think <laughs> DPR, I think when you got to DPR, um, you know, like I said, always been the hard work, always doing things. But I've seen DPR really stretch you. And I guess because it's such a demanding agency. You know, you got the rec centers, like you said before, your love for sports and the rec centers and the programs and all those type of things. But what agency would you say has provided the most growth and development for you? Man, I've appreciated all of them. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, all five or six? <laughs> no, I I would say that um, I've learned something along the way at each one. What I appreciate about DPR, and I think, I'm sorry, you asked the question before, like, what was my sort of position on government and things like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how hard those folks work, work you know, yeah. I work with them in my civic capacity. You know, I had friends, mentors, uh, neighbors, colleagues in government. So I had a pretty good idea of you know what what government was about, and again, you know, having ran for office, I even had a a, a, a good you know grasp of how it operated. Um, so fast forward, you know, the the approach that I've always taken is being at these agencies. I realized that like these people care so deeply, my colleagues mm-hmm. care so deeply about. The work that they do, whether it's employment services, whether it's recreation, whether it's construction, you know, whether it's uh, maintenance—I mean, they—they—they they, they, they personify what it means to be a public servant and for me being in these positions is an awesome responsibility because i recognize if i take care of the people that i work with and work for Mm -hmm. then that frees them up to do their job of serving the public uh without any you, you you know with as few obstacles as possible so i've always uh try to adopt a mindset of servant leadership in these positions. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let me do the downfield blocking. Let me make sure you have the resources. Let me make sure you have the opportunities. And then, you know, when you plant that seed, you know, then 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 good things will happen when you right. function with the best of intentions yeah. and you 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 function with the desire to do right. Like I'm so proud of Bootsy Vegas and, yeah, and yeah. Sali. Um and I, I'll highlight his story because for what he represents to me is what it's all about, right? I remember at the time, you know, he was a, um, a seasonal worker. He would come on board during the summer and had a dope concept, you know, with radio uh, broadcast journalism, which mm-hmm. was a departure from what DPR historically has been about. And I remember just being so inspired, witnessing what he was doing during the summer. And I was like, man, we need this this, this magic that he's bringing mm-hmm. uh, and place a pin on magic. Uh, we need this magic <laughs> right. year round. And I remember uh, talking to one of the OGs, Lou Hall, who have a great deal of respect for. And I said, how do we do this year round? And now to see the growth of that, yeah. that, an that program. The yeah. yeah, the article in the post the other day, those kids getting scholarship opportunities. <laughs> Uh, th- those kids realizing their personal potential, uh, kids going off to Columbia University, mm-hmm. like having this dope experience, and then most recently, he's he's uh, his kids in the program has been in the paper for the young man that received a scholarship on the spot from Magic, right, yeah. you know Johnson. Yeah, yeah, and I was dope. texting Salih the other day, and, and he was thanking me. I was thanking him, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what it's all about. Like those are the things that really motivate me to deal with a lot of the stuff you got to deal with in government and the constituencies that want to have their way and to be quite honest just a lot of the the stuff mm-hmm. you know but yeah. because but for it's worth it when you can provide folks platforms and opportunities to serve and again I, you know, I, I provided an opportunity for Sali, but Sali has really prepared his whole life for that. Yeah. He just needed a platform to be able, and a venue to be able to, to 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 show what he can do, and look at the opportunity, the ripple effect that is happening, that is having for just scores of kids. Yeah. you know, to me, like. That's what I want my legacy in government, because I don't plan on doing this forever. Yeah, I have yeah. other aspirations, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which, which I would love to talk about. I have other aspirations, yeah. other things I want to do. And I know that anything can be, a uh, any position can be a platform for service, just like being at Nike and having a Nike product creation experience and run all of those <laughs> uh, platforms to serve and to help somebody else. Yeah. You know, um, but again, those are the things that give me a a great sense of personal and professional fulfillment. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you touched on that because I recently had experience with that, you know, working in human resources, um, although it is talent acquisition, college recruiting. You know, sometimes you. Hey, I tell people, sometimes HR, some days is human resources, some days it's human services, cause you are literally working mm-hmm. through everything. But even myself sometime, you know, outside of corporate at heart, I do love community work and those type of things. And um, I had a recent experience with, uh, uh, I lead the early ID program. We work with freshmen and sophomores and kind of give them personal professional development. And then this is a pipeline into our internship program. And of course, long-term is full-term opportunity. Uh, but we had a student, um, uh, Ethan, you know, Ethan went through early ID, then he serves as an intern. Then he just got a full-time offer this summer and you know ethan sent me a note which is like you know mr and i thank you for sticking with me from the beginning and introducing me to this program now i have a full-time offer i'm loving actuarial science all those type of things and for me you know i remember screenshotting the email because it made me remember like all right man this isn't just business like you do love this community work now you have a way to do it uh through that so you know you just bringing that up definitely uh you know spoken related to me mm-hmm. And um, what I was going to say, you know, before we get into those other aspirations and, um, you know, because you say you don't want to do this forever, and I think sometimes uh, I'm glad you just say that, too, because I think sometimes, you know, we can get comfortable with something. But me knowing you, you are always looking for the next level. But outside of all these things we talked about, the agencies, being a leader, being an advocate, Um, personal life, um, something I know is the most important to you. And when you are in these leadership positions, um, balance is something that is, I say can be challenging. Um, I always tell this story, I remember uh, when you and Patrice first started dating, and I remember at the time, I wanna say you were, weren't you like working people out at one time? Like training, you weren't training people at one time? Was I saying? Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Right. So I remember yeah. we at the table and you was like talking, maybe grandma, maybe my mom, but you were saying something like, you know, hey, I got three jobs. And you said something, you was like, uh, it was something with the government, like your your business job. He was like working people out. And he was like my girlfriend, Patrice. Was, and now he's your wife, but your girlfriend at the time. So talk about balancing, man, all of these things in your professional world. Like you said, married and a father of three. Talk about how you do that man i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't know you know it's
0: uh um it's uh that's god be the glory <laughs> <laughs> no you know um i think patrice has given me balance mm-hmm. um patrice my wife uh has i was so blessed in, you know when, when, when i met her you know i was a uh, joke broke busted disgusted couldn't be trusted yeah. you know man those campaigns took a toll i was so young yeah. like stuff that i brush off now being 25 26 27 years old being in some cases vilified in the papers and some of that was, was well yeah. deserved being campaign, being co-opted about stuff that was not on my radar mm-hmm. uh and you know around that time when i met her you know um I 2013, I was coming off of that last campaign, and I was, like, I was very serious at that time about, you know, about just being a better man. You know, I knew I wanted to go back and, um, you know, uh, um, go back to school, right, and I went back and got my master's. I knew at the time I wanted to get settled into a career, and I knew that I wanted to prioritize you know, starting a family. So even then, I was dating with intention, and yeah. you know, Patrice was just just when I was ready. You know, I think Dr. Graham used to always had that that saying. He was like, when the um, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dr. John Graham, mm-hmm. who uh, passed away a few years ago, uh, who was another mentor of mine. So, you know, when the when the student is ready, the, the teacher will appear. Um, and uh, in that case, Patrice wasn't the teacher, but um, you know, I think it was God. You know, I think when he said, "All right, you're, you're ready." You know, now I will show you. I'll, I'll bring folks into your, your your life. I'll provide you know these opportunities. So for me, being married and having that accountability partner helps to provide that that balance. You know, when when I'm burning mm-hmm. it on or burning it uh, uh what's it burning the candles on both ends. Yeah. You know, no, nah, no, nah, she she ensures that hey, no, we gotta have time for family. No, we we gotta prioritize this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then just seeing her her career take off yeah you know which means that I've had to do more at home and I enjoy it right because yeah. I know that she did the same thing for me when I'm spending the night in the office because it's three feet two feet of snow on the ground oh, right. the <laughs> you know trying to deploy volunteers <laughs> so just like you know she was able to do the heavy lifting then with joy I do the heavy lifting now and mm-hmm. I think that it's tough for us to maintain that balance and sometimes things will will get out of whack but I think having her in my life I am um, you know I'm just so blessed you know Um, and you know we rely on each other we rely on our faith in God Mm -hmm. you know our our kids have grounded us in a way that I think that um, uh, it's brought a level of focus yeah, you know, um, you know to, to both of our, our, our professional lives.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's great to hear you say that because I think sometimes we uh, think, you know, we think of marriage and you just think of traditional views. And you think, oh, man, go out and do everything. Wife, she's got to stay at home, do everything. But like you said, you know, I see it. Patrice is on the road, you're on the road, y'all going back and forth, you know, managing um, those responsibilities of a family. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, I remember... Um, I remember i had a a a friend of mine
0: and um i had a friend of mine she she was biracial Mm -hmm. and um you know when i asked her like what was the difference between you know her uh, relationships with her black friends and in relationships with uh, her, her white friends at the time and you know this isn't scientific or something but this thing really stuck with me and she mm-hmm. said that you know when my black friends feel like you know before they get married they, they have to have it all together you know right. they have to have the car the job the certain salary and she was like you know my white friends they view marriage as a part of their maturation process it's mm-hmm. a way for me to be with somebody to have a partner and to um, Uh, start to get my life together and I think for me like that one conversation like really helped to change the trajectory because remember at the time I felt broke busted disgusted couldn't be trusted you know at the time you know I just felt like I um you know probably was dealing with borderline depression Mm -hmm. you know at the time and and just, that just really helped to change my perspective on how I approach dating, you know, because before, well, no, you know, you can't be too serious because you don't really got your stuff together. Right, right. You know, as opposed to like, no, this is a part of, again, my, um uh, uh me growing and developing as a person. So mm-hmm. I, I I would say like that was my mindset and my focus. And the, and the minute I got serious about those things, I think that God brought Patrice into my life and he started to open up doors. Because again, I, I was ready. And then sometimes you just, you got to be ready and figure out you can't figure this thing called life out by yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, facts. And, um, you know, uh, with that and thinking about, you know, future um, personal development, you kind of just touched on that, you know, life outside of your job, your government degree. What are some of these, you know, aspirations you mind sharing um, that you are looking forward to? Well, it's definitely not the run for office. <laughs> Nah, cause I get asked that probably a lot. I know you at, get it a lot. I told you, I, I I was thinking it for the longest. And one day I came over at the, the house, and I remember asking you. You was like, "Man, like that's done." And I was, I ain't gonna lie, I was kind of shocked. I'm like, "Man, I thought we got one more run in this, man." <laughs> yeah, you know, got
0: one more, got one more in me. No, no, you know. And I actually, because again, for me, um, anything you do is a platform to serve. Mm-hmm. And, and because now I recognize that. Um, I was listening to a message this morning. I was listening to a message. I'm not even sure who the preacher was. We mm-hmm. were we were leaving service ourselves, and okay. I was listening to uh, 96.3, and I guess it was like the uh, the Sunday morning service at Rankin Chapel. Chapel, and the preacher I don't even know his name. Um, we recorded mid sermon. Was talking about like um, how divine it is sometimes when God gives you a no. You know, if God would have told us yes to everything that we aspired to have or everything that we wanted you know we probably it wouldn't have been in our best interest if mm-hmm. if, if if he said yes to everything so you know as i think about um you you, you know i think about that no during that period how that no turned out and 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 gave other opportunities that are just as fulfilling if not more fulfilling because again i like being a servant i I love what i do i love the agencies that i work for you know um i love the people that i work with and i am inspired by folks who are giving it their all and are just looking for someone to lead them in an ethical way not about games let's Mm -hmm. focus on the work let's make sure you have the resources to be successful you know those are the things that give me great fulfillment so you know uh, I I would never rule out anything I mean who knows maybe one day I'll have a change of heart Mm -hmm. but I don't need that to be fulfilled anymore and if anything I know people we we'll probably laugh when they hear this, but I've actually become more introverted, yeah. you know, since running for, for, for office. And I know I have a, you know, good opportunity to be on uh exposure and, and do a lot of interviews and I do that, you know, uh because I, I pride myself on being an ambassador for, for the work that, that I do in mm-hmm. the agencies that I lead. But, you know, um I uh you know really shied away from the spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. And also as I get a little older, uh Probably a little more rigid in my thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably too conservative for D.C. yeah. yeah, yeah. In a lot of my, my thinking at this point. So uh, I think I've joked with the mayor. I was like, you know, I'm to the right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm to the right of the mayor politically. So I don't even know if I'm a, a, a elected. I might need to go to Salt Lake City, Utah or yeah, something.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I have a shot there. <laughs> no, nah, nah, for sure, man. Definitely. Um, and just also, too, like, before we get off personal, um, you know, we talk about family and the responsibilities, but... Um, not even just having children but you have three boys mm-hmm. so you know three boys and you know in the, in the climate of where especially here in dc we're talking about uh you know blackmail initiatives i remember you were part of the my brother's keeper i'm um, like you mentioned mentoring a lot of young guys in your in your space you know talk about what it means of being a A black father in a a, still say, you know, it's not chocolate city anymore, but still a black city and, you know, raising three boys, um, you know, in a a town where we unfortunately seen a lot of black men kind of fall victim to many things, unfortunately. It's tough, man. It's tough. You know, my father
0: is my role model Um, when it comes to fathering and fatherhood and what I appreciated about you know, my father, Frank the Tank, is he's right. affectionately known, <laughs> Papa Frank, what I appreciate about him is that he wasn't a lecturer. You know, um, he just just provided a good example and was consistent, you know, day in and day out, yeah. whether that's going to work when he didn't want to go to work, dealing with sickness and affliction, you know, treating people right, mm-hmm. you know, being dedicated to his job, his family, his church, you know, um, that's always been my example, and I think that, um, you know, these are scary times. And, yeah. you know, it's one thing when you're single, and you're by yourself, when you have a family and you have kids that depend on you, you know, to provide and, and to protect them, you know, I would be lying to you if I didn't, you know, if I didn't state that what's going on right now uh, is scary, you know, as a father. Um, and I... um you know rely on my faith you know um first and foremost then i would say i try to be very smart about the moves i make the situation that i I put myself in i put my family in um and you know i know that this too shall pass i know that you know we have a mayor that's working really hard um and you know, a lot of people, not just her, I think a lot of people, ground, you know, a lot of people work. in our circle, you know, mm-hmm. that are working really hard, that were, we're baffled. It, it scares me to see Like where we are. And I think that there are a lot of people who work really hard to to, to make sure that our folks aren't locked away and they they throw away the key to treat Mm -hmm. people with empathy, to see the humanity in everyone. And I think a lot of that work is about to be eroded. I do see the pendulum switching back and rest Mm -hmm. assured, if there's one thing that this country knows how to do and knows how to do well, it's lock up black men. Uh, and that 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 muscle memory is going to kick back in and unfortunately if we don't stem the tide of what we're seeing we're going back to those days of mass incarceration and mm-hmm. that scares me but at the rate we're going uh, many people won't see there being another option because people are not going to be uh, stand to be terrorized in the city for so much longer
1: yeah yeah absolutely it's definitely a, a Definitely tough times going on. Like you said, you know, people in our circle, Tony Lewis, Silas Grant, William Sheldon, like I said, Francis, Kenny, um, um, people over there. uh, Shout out to the Ones program. That's right. You know, those guys I went to middle school with that went through that program, made some mistakes, came home, um, doing very well. Uh, Ron Mo, And I mean, you know, the list goes on and on for those that are in the work. So definitely a shout out to them. Um, I always ask this question to every guest. You might have already kind of alluded to it, but um, I always ask people, you know, uh, what is there any means moment? You know the uh, platform being called Dreams by any means, um, and, it's, and it's funny, right? So I, I'll give. Uh, I think I, I have told this before. Dreams by any means actually came from you know that's my Instagram name. Yeah. But yeah. it came literally from this. I was at Dell State one day in the Ville, and I had two posters on my wall. It was Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, <laughs> and it just said, "I have a dream," and then it said, "By any means necessary." And this was Instagram kind of first came out, so that became my name, but. Um, and I got that from you, you know, um, just I remember how, how uh, inspirational uh, Malcolm X has been to you. I remember reading the autobiography of Malcolm X and I remember, you know, watching the movies and all that. And I kind of just applied to everything it was working out professional, personal by any means. So when I talk about the any means moment, any means moment is like that moment when your back was against the wall, when you probably, you know, didn't know how you were going to figure something out. And you came out on top with that win and, you know, you still carry that with you to this day. Wow. That's deep. (laughs) I
0: don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know if I could point to, you know, one single moment. Um, you know, what I'll share is that, um, I think that the journey that, that I've been on, um, it hasn't been a straight line. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've had my fair share of of disappointments. You know, I've had my fair share of, uh, um, failures. I've had my, my fair share of self doubt. Um, I think that, you know, what has sustained me um, is really the grace of God, you know, and I, I think that my faith, and, you know, we grew up in a very religious yeah. um, a household, you know, um, parents are devout, um, you know, holiness, you um, Beatings. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and for me, while not quite as, no one is devout, yeah. <laughs> you know, that is, has stayed with me, that, that sense of faith. Uh, and that has sustained me and what sustains me um, to this day. So I think that um, any time that I am, you know, having a difficult time, sometimes scriptures come to my mind, you know. Uh, yeah. Never have I seen a righteous forsaken of the seed begging for bread. Um, count it all joy, you know. Um, there are a number of scriptures that just kind of pop in my mind that, that sustain me. So no matter, even during, you know, some of the more challenging times that I've had, even um, during those moments of disappointment, those moments of defeat, yeah. those moments of failure, I, I always knew that that was not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I always, like, firmly believe that. I remember uh, a moment uh, I was so like dejected I just remember like just sitting in the shower and like on the floor just in the shower just letting the water just rerun him. like I was just just like I felt like that was like I, I won't go into too much detail but that was a very low moment for me yeah. it was a private moment and I just remember even in that moment you know just getting up realizing that 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 was not the end of the story yeah. right that there were more chapters to be written and you know for me that's just something that I've always kind of believed in so I, yeah. I've never I don't think I've had one moment, you know, but there's been multiple moments again where, where
1: I've relied on my faith to 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 uh, to get me through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I can relate to that. Like I always say, there's a scripture for everything. And, um, you know, when I went to grad school, I dealt with that, you know, going from uh, government checks back to campus checks, you know, <laughs> I, my first semester of grad school was the roughest, probably the roughest time of my life. But my grad school uh, era is one of the most defining moments of my life because I realized how much more you could do with less. But um, I remember going through uh, a time during my first semester in uh, shout out, you know, Bishop Thornton Church in Baltimore. I remember yeah. going in one night for Bible study. You know, they were talking about the fruits and you know then they touched on long suffering <laughs> and i was in church i was like i was like oh this is what this thing is all about like, yeah. but you know I, swear, I remember going back home i was like oh, all right cool this is why you ain't got no money right now this is why all this yeah. stuff is going on but like i say, when i look back at grad school you know going from that salary job to campus checks and you know today my success i credit it to towson in that era of going back and getting that degree and i remember you telling me you also as well you're like you know man try to get your degree as early as possible. Don't wait years later, because I know you were doing John Hopkins with DJ, was just born, right? Yeah. yeah well, I was finishing up when, when he, was he was born. born. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I remember, you know, taking that leap of faith um, and going through that. But I mean, even, you know, uh, just recently passed away uh, Bishop Melvin Easley, you know, That's I, right. yeah. I was going to that church during my time in grad school. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got through that grad school without having that faith in those scriptures and you know relating it to everything going on. So definitely. Um I wanna ask the last question. Um, you know, uh, kinda of touched on it, you know, being an advocate, being a servant, passion on the platform, all that. But uh what do you wanna be remembered by? You know, I think uh, I'm sure you know this, you know, you definitely have a magnificent reputation. People look up to you, admire you, and, you know, think you definitely have impacted. Let me think. I know you've impacted so many people, not just here in D.C., but all over. But, you know, uh, when it is your time, you know, when you do, uh, you know, get called God to exit this earth, you know, what do you want to be remembered by? What do you want your legacy to be? Well, hopefully that's a long time. Yeah, a long time. Now. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always, I always, so, look, I was ever day I was telling somebody that I said words are so powerful because I'll be talking to people and I'll be like, yeah, you know, when I'm 85, and I'm 91, this is what I want to do. Mm. So, yeah, long, long time from now. But what would you like to be remembered by? Um, just someone that that, that that treated people right.
0: Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I live by treat people how you want to be treated. And how do I want to be treated? You know, I want to have opportunity. Um, you know, I want to be empowered. Mm-hmm. I want to be held accountable. Yeah. You know, I, I want to have a proper reason. And I try to do that with other people. Just someone that, that treated people with dignity, uh, treated people with respect, uh, you know, someone that hopefully uh brings out the the best in them Mm -hmm. uh and just to be a good person you know because at the end of the day it's tough to kind of remember like if you think they always say you know you don't remember like necessarily sometimes what people did for you but it's how they made you feel right you know and um that's what i want to be remembered for just someone
1: that uh, treated people right yeah yeah no for sure definitely definitely so I uh, appreciate it, man. You know, this is, uh, we could go on and on. You know, uh, we're here in the studio. I think we are about an hour and a half in. But uh, appreciate you for coming here on the episode, I mean, on the podcast. Like I tell everyone, always welcome to come back. There's much more to dive into. Um, and, you know, we didn't get into it, but definitely shout out to DGS, uh, Department of General Services. I know you're doing great things over there. Um, I know it's a, a large amount of things you're dealing with. I've got a call my boy Rich. He's a he's a, a counselor over there with Harold at the high school. He's like, man, your uncle came through here today. You know, I didn't know he worked for DGS. You know, these type of things and all that. And it seemed just all over. And uh, even like, you know, there's some things I never thought DGS did. Like I remember before you were with DGS, I was complaining about something at the park. And he was like, that's not DPR, that's DGS. (laughs) I was like, oh, I never knew that. So I know y'all cover so many bases, man. So like, you know, maybe we can get into that the next time. But uh, a shout out to DGS, your staff. I mean, you're all responsible for so many things that move the city government, sustain the government. So uh, definitely thank you for this today, man. This is great. Um, like I said, this is my first episode in about five months. Uh, work has been pulling me, and I've been doing a lot of uh, independent episodes and motivation. But this was great. And um, I think even for myself, it's got me back in the mode that, you know, I want to do an interview tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So appreciate you for coming on, man. Well, thank you, man. I, I'm proud of you, man. I think, um, you know, Ed is, is, is less my
0: nephew, more like my brother because yeah, yeah. we're— uh, so so uh you know, we were just uh eight years apart? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, eight years apart. So even growing up, you know, you were like my brother, uh or well, my brother mm-hmm. and uh, me, you and, and my yep, third brother, my you yep. know, uncle <laughs> brothers. Um, you know, we're just proud of you and uh, you know, you inspire me as well to see your uh, just optimism about life and to see how you treat people. Um, you treat people right as well. You, you operate in love. You operate with an eternal sense of optimism yeah. that, that sometimes I need to tap into. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I know you're going to go on to do you, – you are doing great things in life, first and foremost, and inspiration. But I know that uh, I can't wait to just see what, what God has in store
1: for you as well. So sure. thank you, and uh, appreciate I appreciate it, the opportunity. Man. Absolutely. So, uh, like I always say here on Dreams By Any Means, hustle plus faith equals success. And I'll catch y'all on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into Dreams By Any Means Motivation Station where hustle plus faith equals success. Stay tuned for the next episode. man what's up with y'all man i can't even say top of the top because it's six in the evening but um it's happening with y'all per usual um just dropped a new episode platforms for service featuring my uncle my brother delano hunter um make sure y'all check that out that's available on spotify and apple right now we got the youtube video dropping later tonight so definitely be sure to tune in like comment subscribe share all that good stuff um, I'm on my walk right now for the evening and wanted to tap in with y'all. Need to actually tap in with y'all. we um, been going through a rough time. Uh, lost a good friend, uh, Khali Thomas, aka Wink, aka Walk, uh, known as back to me and Friend. Um, and you know, I just wanted to share some thoughts and dedicate this episode to him. Um, Khali was one of my closest friends, um, you know, in my circle. Um, a heart full of gold amazing father amazing worker amazing teammate amazing student son cousin you know the list goes on and on um he unfortunately lost his life to gun violence um here in dc uh last monday october the 16th and um you know it's a uh, i would be lying to y'all if i would say it's been a rough patch but um you know i've been thinking about do i talk about this on the podcast when do i talk about it how do i talk about it what do i do what do i not do and I had to really tell myself like this is what the podcast is about, right? We talk about motivation. We talk about getting through tough times. I tell y'all about hustle plus faith. Um, you know, I was going through some of the episodes where I was talking about how we don't let nothing bring us down, let nothing get in the way of us and um, you know, like my mom always say, you know, uh, uh you know, whatever you you speak you know, it'll become your testimony to you know, the things you say. And uh, this is one of the things where definitely tragic and hurt bad and definitely didn't expect it. Um, but I guess that's life when things are so unexpected. But, uh, you know, for him to lose his life at 29 to gun violence and leaving behind a daughter and, you know, only child of a wonderful, beautiful mother that has treated me like her son, uh, as well as uh, my friends, Francis, TB, Damo, uh, Jabari, Lou. You know, the list goes on and on, man. Uh, I really just wanted to use this time to just tell y'all that, uh, you know, life is going life, man. Um, I can't really find the words with this death to how kind of to really, you know, get over it. And I'm being positive and whatnot, but it's tough, man. And I think part of, you know, with this podcast, is talking about motivation. And, you know, part of leadership, which I'm really big on, is being transparent. And I'm being transparent with y'all to let y'all know that I'm crushed right now. Um, you know i've had so many thoughts some good some bad i found myself questioning god even though i've raised to never question him i found myself sometimes upset just with how things have you know worked out with this situation but you know they say everything's for a season everything's for a reason and i know these feelings and this mood is going to be for a season and it might be a long season you know because i'm gonna miss my boy for sure but I know it's something that we, uh, you know, we'll get through, but I think the main thing I'm thinking about as I am on this walk and as I was speaking on one of the episodes about having a positive habits when stuff like this does happen is that it's just important to really have a guideline. And I talked about this in more than one episode, but have a guideline on how to guide yourself. Um, I would be alive. I would say the workout, the, the walks, the running is going to solve this pain, or solve this feeling, right? Um, but it was it, it it can help. Um, I'm out here now walking. And it's helping just get some blood flowing, get some fresh air, and it's a little you know nerve wracking and PTSD because I'm in my neighborhood Um, where you know I lost one of my closest friends. Y'all always see me talk about Ryan to Gun violence in 2008, and you know man, I'm 31 years old. You know, shy of 32 in a couple of months, and I'm still dealing with the same stuff. And you know man, it's frustrating. It's annoying. And, you know, man, I, I was talking to my uncle in the car on the way to the interview. I was like, man, it just sucks when you feel a dislike towards your hometown due to the nature of the things that take place in your hometown. And, you know, part of my reason of, you know, enjoying living away from home and, you know, I battle back and forth. Do I move back? Do I do this? Do I do that? You know, I'm remote so I could kind of do the back coaster thing. But, man, I would, lie to y- I would be lying to y'all if I want to say, man, I-, I sometimes have a fear in my own hometown. And, you know, I'm doing the right thing, walking the right line, but nobody is immune to the sense of violence, man. Y'all see the robberies up. Y'all see the the, the shootings up. People getting hit by straight bullets, uh, you know, all this type of stuff, but I won't let it mess up my faith, but I also won't let it mess up my smarts and just learn how to move smarter and move better because of... This is a this is a tragic situation right here. Um, I guess I'm out here on my walk. I don't have my headphones in. I'm looking left and right, trying to make sure everything is going well. But um, I just don't even know the words to put together to try to make this thing feel great. So what I've taken with this tragic loss is to embrace it. Um, similar with Kenny. Shout out to Kenny KB, head football coach at Blue. My brother always say you got to embrace everything, man, a good and a bad and that's pretty much what I'm trying to do, you know. There's not a workout session, a song, or anything that's gonna help me just magically get over Khali's death, uh, magically get rid of that anger, confusion, and questions, right? But there is some small steps I could take every day that could lead to me just learning how to cope with this. And I say that to say, too, not to judge anyone, but you know, when people pass, you know, it's the, let's pull out some, let's pull out a bottle, let's roll some up you know, let's do this. That hasn't been my my solution with this, right? And part of this has been coming before this. I didn't know Khali was going to die a month ago, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago or two months ago. But those of y'all that have been keeping up with the podcast, you know, I've really been in this workout bag. I've been in this eat healthy bag. I've been in this, you know, Mamba mentality, Kobe mindset bag, right? And that's what I did with this. I said, man, I'm going to face this thing head on, man, sober, chin up, You know, I'm waking up in the middle of the night crying, waking up in the middle of the night praying. And then sometimes of the day I'm smiling, sometimes of the day I'm happy, sometimes of the day my mind may not be just on it, right? But I'm going to just take everything that come with it. And um, I had to go reflect back to, you know, when Ryan died and when I went to Dell State two years after that. And they said, when you find your pain, you find your purpose. And I just reflected on that as well as with this type of pain. trying to figure out how we could turn into something positive, man. Khalid worked for the Department of Employment. I mean, not employment, Department of Environment and Energy. Uh, Energy and Environment, DOE. Um, you know, doing great things over there as a program manager, an amazing father, uh, avid basketball fan and player. I mean, really was a ball-his-life type of guy. And, you know, I'm just thinking of ways we could continue his legacy. And, um, you know, like I said at the moment, I don't know what lesson we'll get from this. I don't know what sense it makes. But um I'm not gonna let a bad time or a bad situation, you know, question my faith and question all the good that God has done for me and those around me. You know, they always say stuff is in his will. And you know, when he does when when stuff happens that may be in his will, um, you know, we just sometimes we can crush by and I understand it. And you know, this episode right here. It may not be, you know, certain <laughs> nuggets or certain things or it's just flowing, but it's really just my free thoughts for y'all. Um, and this is example of what I just said, taking, taking advantage of positive outlets when you're going through things. So if it's working out, if it's meditating, if it's watching something, for me too, it's podcasting. So just being able to get all my thoughts out, you know, talking to people about looking into therapy, having someone to talk to, and that's another route. Um, I'm grateful that I do have people in my village that I can talk to and get these thoughts out as well, man. But, um, you know, they always say towards the end of the year, man, things just start to happen so so fast and just so unexpected. And it's tragic, man. And, you know, I never want to give up hope on the, on the city and cities because, you know, this isn't just a D.C. problem. You look at the news, you see Philly, Chicago, um, um, PG County, Baltimore. I mean, everybody's going through it. You know, but you really do you ask yourself when is enough is enough. Um, I made a post on IG and just kind of just pretty much saying, man, like ain't nothing gonna change. It's the same stuff after the decades, you know, over and over. And, um, you know, through anger and emotion. And I, you know, I did mean it, but I also ended up deleting it probably a couple hours later because I realized, man, like that's not, that's not what leaders do. You know, uh, the, the people that are looking at you for the inspiration and the motivation is clearly called a motivation station. They looking for you to have a positive outlook on something, even if you don't believe it or even if there's kind of like a sign for no hope. So I had to change my mind and just kind of say what I say on this podcast when I say hustle plus faith equals success. And that's pretty much what I'm going to do with this situation of losing colleagues is hustle plus faith, man. We're going to keep moving and we're going to keep the faith that everything happens for a reason and a way it's supposed to happen. And you know, I've been dreading. You know, burying my brother in the ground this Friday, man, almost to the point, I don't even want to go to the funeral, but I know I got to be there and I want to be there, but I'm just saying like, it's almost like you just don't want this to be real, Um, but it is real and unfortunately, you know, this is, you know, we got to be there for each other and, you know, shout out to the mayor's office and chief of staff at DOE, you know, the GoFundMe is going well, Uh the mayor's office have, has a letter for his funeral. Um just all the different love and support. Um is a testament of the type of person that bro was and man I'm gonna miss him to death like I can't even imagine sometime, you know, riding past that area without without talking to him or him texting me or hit me on the gram or man when we gonna go on a trip or him always asking for this Vegas trip blowing me. Khalid type person he hits hit you up today, be like, Man, you trying to go to Vegas on November seventh? like, bro, we need some time to plan this thing out, man, but he was that type of guy. Um, and like I said, you know, I'd be sad, but as I keep thinking about him, I just find myself laughing and smiling more because we had so many good memories and so many good interactions, man. So I'm sure there's a lot of people out here that can relate. I'm sure there's a lot of people out here that probably got a tougher situation than this. But um, at the end of the day, man, we gonna keep pushing. You know, like I said on one of them episodes, we ain't giving up. Um, You know, we just gonna keep pushing and keep going, man. You know, so rest in peace to my brother Watt, man. We're gonna keep your memory alive, bro. So much, so much, so much we had left to do, man, and to see and experience this man, man. But I'm glad that we got to lock in and build a solid friendship, and Your family embraced me like family. And man, you just was, you was one great guy, bro. So I know the love that you have for me you know the love I have for you. And that's probably the one nugget that I will leave with y'all is give the flowers to people while they're here. Because once they're gone, they're gone, man. And you don't want no ifs, ands, and buts about that. So long live WAP. Everybody stay up, man. And remember, hustle, plus faith, equals success. I'm going to catch y'all on the next one.